This is Top Floor, episode 46. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 46. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast ride up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. Welcome to the show. Rachel Vandenberg grew up in the Sun and Ski and in Suites in Stowe, Vermont, because her parents owned it. She swore she would never work in hotels, but after building a non-hospitality career in the Netherlands, Rachel and her husband decided to take over her parents' property and raise their three children in the industry. In addition to her role as Chief Hospitality Experience Officer at the Seninsky Inn and Suites, Rachel is a certified leadership coach and founder of Accelerate, a conference for women leaders in travel. Despite my fascination with the Witness Protection Program in Vermont specifically, Rachel and I were actually introduced by Corey Falter of Lure Agency, who was my guest in episode five. We'll get into all of that soon because today, Rachel and I are going to talk about how to experiment with new revenue streams at your hotel. But before we jump in, we need to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals with burning questions. If you would like to submit a question, you can call or text me at 850-404-9630. Today's question was submitted by Lester. And Lester asks, how do you know when it's time to expand your hotel property? Perfect question for you, Rachel, because I know you recently did this. What advice would you give to Lester? Ooh, that's a great question. I think one of the biggest indicators is if you're seeing a lot of unconstrained demand. Um, you know, do you have those weekends or peak periods when you could sell, you know, probably, you know, 20 more rooms? And, you know, I think a lot of it too is based on the trends of the industry and your destination, how popular your destination is, and if there seems to be that that space for growth available. When you decided to expand the Sun and Ski, had you been tracking like lost and turned down business for a long period of time first? Or did you have sort of a gut feeling that it was time and then you started to collect the data to prove yourself out? Yeah, I think, you know, in our case, it was probably a not very scientific. It was more based on that gut feeling and also that we just had, you know, the ability to expand on our property with our, our the capacity that we had. We only had first floor motel rooms, so we have the, you know, the chance to build upwards. Oh. And we also had the space for parking, which is really key in a lot of destinations. That kind of is a determinant. Interesting. Okay. So more maybe the property holdings was the guide to what you could do. That's an interesting way to look at it. All right, Lester, you've gotten some good advice. Write it down and think it through. Rachel, you spent nine years living and working in the Netherlands. 
how did you end up there? So my father is from the Netherlands originally and has been for many years um, since the early 1970s in the United States, where he came over to actually do a hotel internship. And interestingly, when I went to college, I followed suit and went returned to the Netherlands to do my master's degree and stayed there for nine years unexpectedly met my husband after the first couple of years and um, also had our first children over there. That is so interesting. And had you grown up going there or was it just like, oh, this is a great opportunity to get to know the fatherland? Yes, we definitely went there as I was growing up to visit family. My father has four brothers and my grandparents were over there. So every couple of years we would go and visit other European countries as well. So I felt drawn to go there and also learn the language. What was it like working and living there for such a long time? Uh, It was interesting. You know, one of the biggest things was definitely overcoming that language barrier to really become part of the culture, even though a lot of Dutch people speak uh, English very easily. But I loved it when I was there and I had a really enriching experience. And I did work for organizations that were internationally focused organizations. So a lot of our work was in English anyways. So uh, yeah, I had a great experience. Why did you end up leaving? So we had twins and really we're looking for, you know, kind of reorganizing life and work. And uh, we came on vacation back to Vermont, drove from Boston through the Green Mountains just before Christmas. And it started snowing softly as we're driving through and we got the bug to come back and, um, you know, build a different kind of life back in, in my, my hometown. It was the magical snow fairy dust that got you (laughs) the holidays. So you decided to return to Stowe and take over the hotel, at least in part because of the lifestyle that you wanted to create with your family. How, what were the steps that it took to make that decision? Or was it like the snow fell and instantly your eyes met across the car and you were like, yes, we're moving. Like what, what all was involved in that? Oh, definitely not. I mean, it was like, (laughs) it was like, okay, this is kind of a crazy thought. You know, I, even as it was coming out of my mouth, I was even like surprised that it came (laughs) out of my mouth. So It was probably six to nine months of making, you know, those charts where you list the pluses and minuses. That was one of the things we did to make that decision. Um, And what was really important to us is that if we were going to come over and take over this business, it was something that we really wanted to put our imprint on and our mark on as, you know, our business and to to grow it to the next phase and to really be professionalized and to make a career out of it. Gotcha. Had I know you grew up in the hotel business, but had your husband done that kind of work before? Yeah, he actually worked in movie theaters a lot. So he had a really good hospitality background. That was my first job. Oh, funny. In a movie theater. And I always say that people are like, what was your first job in hospitality? Scoop and popcorn, friends. That's what it was. Yeah. 
We're scraping gum from the floor. Oh. The- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always tell the story of this. I worked in two movie theaters. The second one had the soda machine was really up high and I am very short. And so they had to build a box for me oh. to stand on so that I could fill up the soda cups. It was both embarrassing and hilarious at the same yeah. time. <laughs> so great. you and he, you and your husband split the operational responsibilities at the Sun and Ski and in Suites. How did you decide who does what? So it wasn't that difficult because we're very much opposites, actually, (laughs) but um, we complement each other really well. And I would say, you know, a lot of the things that we split fell into pretty stereotypical roles. I'm in charge of housekeeping and um, he's in charge of maintenance. And, you know, I, you know, one thing that's not necessarily stereotypical, but I'm not very good with numbers. So I said, okay, you're going to do finance. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But a really funny one was actually marketing because neither of us had really any marketing experience, but I knew that my husband was very creative and he likes to take pictures and um, he's just got more of that than I do. And so originally marketing was completely in his territory. Come to find out that there's really two different kinds of marketing per- personalities. There's the creative side, but then there's the planning side. And my husband is not a planner, unfortunately. <laughs> it sounds like we may be married to the same husband. Yes. I'm not sure. <laughs> right. So we discovered that we had to distribute marketing differently and that it was really two roles and I I needed to do the planning side but he is definitely the the creative inspiration and does all of our photography now um which is really great. Oh that's awesome to have in house too. That's quite the savings if you can keep it in house. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned this a little bit earlier referred to it a little bit earlier. Our mutual friend Corey Falter suggested that I have you on this show because you had been piloting this retail program that he and I had talked about when I had him on the show. So in episode 5 we were talking about all these different ideas for how hotels can generate more revenue from places that they haven't done traditionally. I think it's a brilliant idea. We were brainstorming all different kinds of things, but this is new to the industry and the kinks haven't been worked out yet. So can you give us a basic overview of how this played out for you at your property, what you were looking to do? Sure. Actually, to start with, I had, you know, never really thought a lot about retail for our property. We don't have a lot of physical space to have a retail department. And I really didn't also know, okay, well, if I did something, what would I sell? So, you know, there, I really hadn't pursued it before, but then I was brought this idea by Corey and he had told me about, you know, this potential opportunity to work with a software company that could provide a sort of drop ship link and allow me to become a non-traditional retailer. And the vision was really to, you know, to take advantage of our captive audience that we have, which is really focused on a lot of outdoor 
uh, industry sports like skiing and hiking and, you know, things like that. And how could we prepare our guests for their upcoming stay with the right gear and equipment potentially? So that's kind of where the, the vision started. And, you know, there's, you know, with having such a targeted audience where you know when they're coming, you know what season they're coming, and you're able to pre during and post-stay deliver them relevant messages, it just all seemed to be um, the right fit. So that's kind of how we got started. It's interesting. A theme that comes up pretty regularly on top floor is that the hospitality industry can't really move forward without a mindset shift that encourages hotels to experiment. It's a frustrating reality in our business that most leaders will only try something new after they can see that it's been proven successfully by somebody else. You take a very different position. Not only were you willing to try this sort of unproven new idea, but you have also been willing to let us behind the curtain and talk about the lessons that you learned from this pilot program can you tell me what what's your take on the overall success of the initial pilot that you did? Um, so I would say it's a work in progress <laughs> and we learned a lot. So it is not a failure, but there's room to make some changes. And, and I do have the plan to continue working on this project and, and take some of those lessons and kind of relaunch the store and reconfigure our website to address some of those things. And I'm actually going to be working with a new marketing partner to do that. Um, His name is John Rushworth and his company's Consults Rushworth. And he has experience in e-commerce and working with a lot of uh, traditional retailers. So also taking some of the lessons from that as well. Wow. That's exciting. That'll be interesting to watch. What are a couple of the lessons, couple of things you would do differently based on your experience? Yeah, I think one of the big lessons was, you know, matching the retail experience with the authenticity of your brand. People want to associate, I think, products with like what the brand means for them. So in Vermont, there's a lot of like big things that stand out, like, you know, maple syrup is a big one, but also like, what are the things that they could only get in Vermont? And another big thing is farmer's markets. So, you know, what can we look at that's being sold out of farmer's market and how can we connect those suppliers to a more expanded customer base who have been to Vermont and and like those kinds of items. So I think there's a lot that we can expand on there. So tell me if I have this right. It would be around expanding the offering to include things that are very Vermont specific, not just an I love Vermont t-shirt, but products and goods that speak to that sense of place. Is that on track? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And I think also going back to, you know, some of the early days of hotel 
retail and online retail, you have like these programs where they sell the bedding that you slept in at the hotel. And that was kind of like the first iteration of hotels stepping into that kind of retail besides just like the, the souvenirs you might get in their gift shop. And, you know, I think that this is like the next potential space for expansion is, yeah, really connecting more broadly with that experience. It seems to make so much sense to me. I'm a traveler who only carries on bags. I can't bring home bottles of maple syrup from Vermont if I visit because I'm not allowed to carry that on the plane. So it just seems like a really nice way to fill a need that maybe travelers don't rate, you know, they're not putting it in your TripAdvisor review, but it's another way to satisfy or provide an additional service so that it's not just a money grab. It's also providing an amenity for somebody who is coming to your place. Yeah, absolutely. One of the really neat opportunities about it is that it doesn't necessarily have to take up physical on-property space. And, you know, that's, you know, one of the things that was really important going back to that expansion question is that, you know, when you're expanding, you're looking to optimize the revenue of every square foot. And here you have the opportunity to use that digital real estate to provide new sources of income. And you don't even have like a storeroom for inventory or anything, right? It's all drop shipped. That's the goal. In any case, you know, and there may be like some more specific things, like if we had our own merchandise, brand merchandise, that we may have some of those types of things that we keep in stock. So I understand that staffing and kind of just having the bandwidth to run the online store was an obstacle during the pilot for this. Do you think that hotels need a full time person or? I don't know, what are the resources that a particular property should already have in place for this to be successful? I don't know if I can answer that question fully. I think it's really case-specific depending on how the structure is of your company. But I think one of the most important lessons for me was that if you're going to go into something like this, you have to take it seriously and that it is a whole new department. And you know, you have to have and set up the resources that are going to allow you to, to have the expertise. And that could be outsourcing part of that, which is basically what I'm going to be doing. But I'll also probably using some in-house capacity as well for part of the project. So yeah, it's a real thing. It's a store. So <laughs> you you have to there and there's all the things that come with it, you know, you have to provide for. Okay, this sounds like a good time to take a break. After this, Rachel talks about her decision-making process and describes how she accidentally allowed a cage full of rabbits to stay at the inn. Be right back. Top Floor is supported by SiteMinder. In an online world that never sleeps, you can't afford to be off, ever. So how do you keep rooms full, guests raving, costs down, and staff happy? SiteMinder is the world's leading hotel commerce platform that provides hoteliers like you with the tools you need to sell, market, manage, and grow your business 
all from a single dashboard. It's technology without the need to be super techie, intelligence without the detective work, and simplicity without leaving anything out. To learn more about how SiteMinder can help your hotel grow online, visit siteminder.com forward slash top floor. As you know, we like to make sure that our listeners come away from every episode of Top Floor with a couple of practical, specific tips to try either in their businesses or in their lives. I'm really fascinated by how you make decisions and the advice you might give others for evaluating decisions. So for example, you all added a boutique bowling alley to the Senenski and in suites. And you, as we just talked about, were willing to test out this unproven retail concept. So my sense is that you have a higher tolerance for risk than a lot of hoteliers do, but I may be wrong about that. Can you talk about your decision-making process and how you've gone about making these choices and these decisions that may seem a little counter to conventional wisdom? Sure. Um, some of it might be like stupidity, but... Um, <laughs> well, clearly it's not. I mean... But no, so I think a lot of it is first driven by trends that we as a family owned um, company have seen and seeing the, the gaps, you know, that are there and where the potential for growth is with our company. And so it started there. And, you know, with something like the the bowling i mean we really did some you know in-depth research into and looking at our population and the audience that we could attract for something like that and obviously the cost versus revenue opportunities so you know actually doing the research behind it for something especially when you're talking about building brick and mortar you know, a facility that is an absolute. And as I'm saying this, I think it really depends on the idea that you're entertaining. I mean, the retail shop, for instance, because I'm not putting in a lot of upfront investment, there is no brick and mortar. I can play around and learn by doing a lot more easily because there's not like that initial outlay that is so big. You won't get stuck with a hundred bowling balls. <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, sometimes I make risky decisions and I, you know, spend some money unnecessarily, but I've learned from it and the loss wasn't so big that it was prohibitive from trying those things out. So, I think it's a little bit depends on the situation. That makes a lot of sense. I'm sure you get asked this all the time. My sister and her husband are business partners and I've asked her this every year for the last 25 years. But what is it like to work day-to-day with your husband? It can definitely be challenging, but I think it's worked because we have such a clear division of responsibilities. And we found a way to, as long as we're not really depending on each other, like in, you know, on a daily basis in terms of like, well, I need something from you to do my job. 
you know, that helps. But I think we've just in general gotten better about communicating with each other and um, really grown in the experience. So there are definitely some hard times, but we complement each other a lot. So it works. Do you think that being a leadership coach helps that process along or hurts it because you're trying to coach your husband all the time? (laughs) That's a great question. I think it's really helped. And the biggest reason is because I think I've become a better person for it. And, you know, I think I've become a better listener and a lot better of also um, managing my own emotions and my own challenges and growth that it's improved our relationship for sure. What suggestions do you have for people who are either considering rejoining or taking over a family business? I have to admit to you, Rachel, that I'm asking this question in the context of being hot and heavy in the middle of watching The Bear right now, which is one of the best shows I've ever seen. And it's all about taking over a family business and working with family. So that's the bias that I bring to this question. You, If you haven't seen it, you have to see it immediately. Run, run. Oh, I need to watch that for sure. (laughs) So I think my advice for that is really about boundaries and respect. You know, I think being really clear from the get-go, if you're working with other family members, knowing what's really important to each person in the partnership and knowing where, you know, where the lines are that need to be drawn between the roles and responsibilities and the risks and those kinds of things and having very deliberate conversations about those things. All right. It's time for us to predict the future. We're going to look into our crystal balls and try to see what's happening down the road. My first question is, do you think that your kids are going to follow into your footsteps in the hotel business? That is going to be an interesting one. I know they're probably too little to tell, but... Yeah. But, you know, it's so funny. I mean, even as little humans, you know, they start to give you little, you know, signals and of their personality types. And each of the three of them are so different. I don't know, but I know that they have the entrepreneurial spirit. You know, I think that that's something that we have done well as parents is to show them that. And they've even started some of their own little businesses in the past couple of years. Oh, like what? So, well, during the pandemic, they started a mask making business with my mom and she's a a really good seamstress and crafty person. So they made cloth masks and they marketed it and sold them and then donated most of the proceeds to local businesses that were um, struggling during the pandemic. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Now my daughter wants to start, she's starting her own little baking business. She's a really good baker. So um, who knows what the future holds for them, but we're not putting a lot of pressure on it. And if it happens, it happens. What are some other types of pilot programs or experiments that you'd love to try? You don't have to have plans to do these. I'm just, where's your mind going right now? Sure. 
you know, I really struggle answering this question because I feel like I'm just now coming to a place out of the pandemic and getting more secure with, you know, like everybody's been having staffing issues where I can really start envisioning dreaming again. And, you know, I think a lot of my dream and vision for the business is that, you know, I want to leave behind something that stays with the times and, you know, that we never look back and say that we got stale, you know? So that's kind of what drives me with the hotel business. And, you know, a lot of my attention now is, is also focused on my side venture of leadership coaching and, and being able to coach other uh, travel leaders and hospitality leaders. And that's a big area for me that I'm focusing on right now. Excellent. That sounds like what's next for you and what's next for your company. But I'll ask the question just in case. What's next for you and what's next for the hotel? So for me, I think growing to a place with our hotel so that I can be more of that owner. You know, I've been really in the trenches a lot, which is fine and and is actually good a lot of times. I learn a lot from stripping hotel beds and in that process and just being really close to our employees. But I think, you know, for me and the hotel and for my husband, if we can get to that place where we can operate more as the owner um, and really keep an eye on the data and uh, being more scientific about how we operate the, the business, that that will help us grow to our next phase. Okay, folks, before we tell Rachel goodbye, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Rachel, what is a story you would only tell on the loading dock? Okay, so the first thing that comes to mind, uh, we had these guests a few years back they drove in and they came to the front desk and they said that they wanted to see our rooms for a future stay. And it wasn't really about just seeing one room. They really had to go in the room and like test things out. So they sat on the beds, they had to lie on the beds, open the fridge. And, you know, so a lot of things like that. In just one room or multiple rooms? Multiple rooms. And the other interesting thing that we found out once they did become our guests, and this is the funny part, is that we learned that language is really important in your policies. And our language around pets was, we always said we were pet friendly, but there's a difference between pet friendly and dog friendly, obviously, but we didn't make that distinction. So this guest um, showed up with rabbits. What? Yes. So every year they Um, come. How many rabbits? I actually don't know how many rabbits. (laughs) But every year they stay with us for a week and they have a cage of their rabbits. What in the world? (laughs) And over the years, we because our pet policy is non-distinct, we have had cats. I think we've even had a pig. (gasps) Um, 
And we've had obviously a lot of dogs, but you know, nothing really terrible has ever happened. So we've kind of just left it and uh, it makes for some interesting experiences. Why are they traveling with their rabbits? And why did they have to test the bed to know if they could bring the rabbit cage? Everything about this is making me feel very uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) But I assure you for any guests that's out there listening, we are very clean and we (laughs) clean. uh, We do a lot of cleaning after our pet stays. Yes, I'm sure you do. Excellent. Well, Rachel Vanden Thank you so much for being here. I am sure that our listeners got a lot of great ideas and inspiration for experimenting. And I really appreciate you riding up to the top floor. Thanks for having me, Susan. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 46. Top Floor is produced by John Albano, who also composed and performed our elevated elevator music with vocals by Cameron Albano. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode.